Welcome to this bonus episode of Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My co-host is Greg Cott. And this bonus podcast is a little different than others we've recorded. We need to correct something from our previous episode. Our guests claimed Malico Records was the longest-running independent label in American history. We should have known that there was a smaller label in our own backyard that had Malico beat by at least four years. That is true, Jim. Uh, Delmark Records was founded in 1958 and operated for five years before that as Delmar Records. You know, we missed that because uh, the owner, Bob Kester, sold the label in 2018, but it continues today. So it is still in business and slightly older than Malico Records. So all due props to Delmark. But uh, we also need to pay homage to Bob Kester, who died recently at the age of 88, as well as another Chicago behind-the-scenes icon, Purvis Staples, one of the co-founders of the great Staples singers. So after a quick break, I'm going to pay tribute to Kester, Delmark Records, and Purvis Staples of the Staples singers. We're back, and Greg, you are the person to pay tribute both to Mr. Kester, although I spent plenty of dollars at Jazz <laughs> Record Mart, and of course to Purvis Staples because you wrote the book on the Staples Singers. Yes, Jim, it's been a it was a tough week for Chicago uh, music lovers because Bob Kester and Purvis Staples both died within days of one another. Both were key architects of how Chicago music sounded how it was made for a half century. But not in the spotlight, either of them ever. No. I mean, these were behind-the-scenes figures. They're not exactly household names, although in, uh, in my house they certainly were. Kester, as you mentioned, the, the jazz record mart was just as important in the uh, development of Chicago's music scene as the label Delmark Records. Delmark took it worldwide in many ways, but uh, the jazz record mart was a go-to destination, not just for Chicagoans who loved jazz and blues, but also for out-of-town guests. Artists who would come from far away to yeah. play Chicago Around gigs, the world. they would make a point. Do you remember I've when... i got to stop at Jazz Record. When we interviewed Robert Plant, <laughs> yeah. you know, he, he came down to the studios then at the time, we were at BEZ, and mm-hmm. uh, what are you doing the rest of your day, Rob? I'm going to Jazz Record Mart. <laughs> and that was that was the vision of, of Bob Kester. He, uh, he was a denizen. He practically lived in the South and West Side clubs. And not only going there to see these acts in action but also bringing people with him. Yeah. He would turn people on to them, including the future uh, founder of uh, Alligator Records, Bruce Iglauer, was a disciple of, of Bob Kester. He gives him total credit for sending him on this path toward documenting the blues scene. Kester's innovation was that he wanted to catch these bands in their element. He was the first record executive to capture working Chicago bands in their element. Uh, Junior Wells's Hoodoo Man Blues with Buddy Guy on guitar in the 60s. That was an incredibly influential and important record because it probably was the best distillation of what the Chicago blues sounded like when you went to one of those gritty clubs on the South Side. A lot of people may try to homogenize it a little bit or whatever or put some production on top of it, but here was a working band in its environment, and that's the way Kester liked to hear it. Lord, I wonder what's got the matter. A time over time. It seemed like the hours. Everything and change, but I hold up my hand. Lord, I'm trying to make you understand. Lord, you know what? Everybody, they tell me. Somebody learn who do the who do man. Now, you know what? 
I buzz your bell this morning, baby, had your elevator running slow. I buzz your bell, little girl, take my phone up a third floor, but I'll hold on my hand. Let me try to make you understand. Lord, you know what they tell the baby. There's somebody on hoodoo, the hoodoo man. His label got in on the ground floor of many iconic artists, Junior Wells being among them, Magic Sam another. He was also big into jazz, Sun Ra, the early recordings of mm-hmm. Sun Ra, and the Art Ensemble of Chicago, the members of Art Ensemble of Chicago. They appear on Delmark Records. At his record store, you could find everything from 78 RPM records <laughs> to, you know, the latest release by whatever artist you were interested in. You weren't going to go there to find pop acts. No. You were going to go there to find, if you were a hardcore blues or soul or R&B or jazz lover, this was the place to go because you could find it. Bob inevitably had it stocked. Well, Bob retired with great fanfare. You did a really loving uh, piece uh, in the Chicago Tribune. And then uh, then he opened up again. He opened a much smaller right. place a couple of blocks from here, right, right on Irving Park Road. You know, he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't stop. And he worked till the day he died, literally. It was one of those things where Kester was so invested in music and so invested in, in records and so invested in these artists that um, this was his life's work and, and what a life it was. Bob Kester dead at the age of 88. Right around the same time, Purvis Staples died at the age of 85. Now, that, that, that is a name many people don't know, right? Yes. Mavis, of course, is the, the voice and was the front person of the Staples singers. We knew Pops, her dad. It was his vision. It was his family, right? It was his family. Purvis was the only boy. Uh, he was, the, you know, the male sibling and his three sisters, Cleotha, Yvonne, and Mavis. You know, Purvis was the original uh, lead singer in the group. And then his voice changed. And then Mavis <laughs> took over. So the, little, the youngest child took over in place of Purvis. Yeah. But Purvis was fine because, hey, this is what Pops wanted. He heard the sound. He had those gospel quartet harmonies in his mind. He was playing the blues guitar underneath it. It was a unique sound. It was a revolutionary sound. It was the soundtrack of the civil rights movement in Chicago. They were uh, opening act for Martin Luther King on many, during many of his speeches. Purvis was right there alongside them. Besides being a great behind-the-scenes force, in addition to being the har- a harmony vocalist in the group, very key member of those voices, the way they were stacked up, he also helped with the arrangements in the studio. So when they were working on harmonies and arrangements, Purvis was kind of the guy directing. And then at the same time, he was bringing in new material to the group. He got a little frustrated with Pops, who was very doctrinaire. I got to be gospel, got to have a strong spiritual message. And Purvis was looking around saying, wait a minute, my friends Sam Cooke and Lou Rawls are having all these hits doing soul music, secular music. Yeah. You know, can't we have a little bit of that? And Pops was very strict about what he wanted to hear. But then when he heard the music of Bob Dylan, thanks to Purvis Staples' introduction, he goes, now that we can do. Yeah. That's secular music, quote-unquote, but it had a real message to it that really appealed. You know, how, how many roads must a man walk down before they call him a man? Yeah. Purvis was in the room when... Bob Dylan was writing A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall. (laughs) And he was like, because him and Dylan were friends. He got got to know him, and Dylan loved, A, he loved the staple singers. B, he loved Mavis in particular. He proposed marriage to her. Purvis was kind of like the guy who was the glue guy. When Dylan wanted to talk to the staples, he went to Purvis and talked to him, and they became good friends. Dylan was writing these songs. He wasn't pitching him to the staples. He thought, you know, they're they're doing their thing. I'm yeah. doing mine. Purpose was going, no, this is good. We got to do this. And lo and behold, when the staple singers started covering, they were the first non-folk group to cover 
Dylan songs. They were doing songs like Blowing in the Wind, but the one that I think were, they really nailed it was when Purvis took the lead on A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall. You know, he did the lead vocals. He didn't do too many lead vocals, but that was the one. He said, we got to do this song. Pops agreed, and they worked up an arrangement for it. Seven sad forests. Seven sad forests. Then ten thousand miles in the mouth of a graveyard. Mouth of a graveyard. And it's a heart. It's a heart. And it's a heart. It's a heart. You know, having written the book, uh, Greg, did you get to spend time with Purvis? Oh yeah, I spent hours with Purvis. He what, was, what was he like? A raconteur, a character. He was telling jokes good all the time. Good storyteller? Yeah. Stories so good that you had to triple check them to make sure that <laughs> this could possibly have happened. And, uh, you know, Purvis would see me all the time afterwards. You know, we would run into each other at different functions and he, there's the man with all the questions. <laughs> you know? Follow-up question after follow-up. Did that really happen, Purvis? Could you describe who else was in the room at the time so I could talk to them, You know, too? But, it, but it's revealing. Yeah. He never says to you, why'd you put my sister on <laughs> the cover of the book? There was a sort of self-effacing quality. There was a, there was a family. They, they supported each other. At the end of the day, Purvis was kind of like he did everything on the road for them. He was, he was a driver. He was also the security guy. At a time when they couldn't over the stay. Girls. Yeah. When they couldn't stay at white motels. Exactly. In many parts of this country. Yeah, they played a lot of shows in the South, and, and Purvis was, was in many ways uh, the bodyguard. They had no security except Purvis, you know? Wow. Pops, uh, Pops obviously, but Purvis was the young, young guy, and he was... Uh, he had a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. And then he went on to start a club in Chicago in the 70s, worked in a management company. He, he found the uh, Emotions, mm. who had some hits. So Purvis had a multifaceted career, and now he's gone at the age of 85. So two Chicago icons that uh, had an indelible influence on the scene then and now. That's it for this bonus episode. A sad one, but the music lives on. To support Sound Opinions, become a member on Patreon and connect with other listeners in our Facebook group. Thanks for listening.